Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Bruce has left the building. And that building is St. James's Park, as Newcastle United Park Company with their manager by mutual consent. In the least shocking departure of the season, the Magpies are now on the hunt for a shiny new manager. But who will it be? We discuss the booting of Bruce at Newcastle with the man himself suggesting it could be his last ever job as a manager due to the flack he's taken. Bruce was a brilliant centre-back for Manchester United and his old club were on the comeback trail again at Old Trafford last night. 2-0 down at half-time to Atalanta in the Champions League only for an inspired second-half display where Ronaldo rose to ratchet home a header and seal a memorable and important three points for Manchester United in the group stages. Chelsea got their job done with ease against Malmö in their Champions League game, but it came at the price of losing Lukaku, maybe for even up to six weeks. But no such striking issues for Leicester as new boy Patson Decker bagged all four of the Foxes' goals in their pivotal Europa League win in Moscow last night. All the European action on the agenda on today's Football Social Daily, the Premier League-focused podcast with a new episode every day of the season. I'm Niall and with me today we've got Jim Salverson. How are you doing, Jim? Oi, oi, I'm good, thank you. Um, we've got someone who isn't feeling that great physically, but emotionally, I'm sure, is delighted. Free of the shackles of Steve Bruce, Marley Anderson. How are you, mate? It's been a long time coming, and when it comes, my voice is going all over the place. I've got a cold, but I'm still very, very happy that we've uh, we've finally ended this this chapter in our in our club's history now, and we can look forward. So, yeah, buzzing. No more Bruce bashing on the podcast. We've reached an end. Yeah, we won't go that far. Well, we've got one last dance today. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's the only place we can start on today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget you can hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast. Again, brand new shows every single day of the Premier League season. And it's a Premier League season in which Newcastle will continue without Steve Bruce as their manager after he left St. James's Park yesterday by mutual consent. No real surprise, it's fair to say, Marley. is the only surprising element 
for you as a Newcastle fan that it took so long for him to leave the club? Um, yeah, yes and no. Um, yes, as in, I, I mean, I heard from uh, a reliable sort of source, one of the Newcastle journalists, that, that uh, yesterday that one of the um, takeover points was he goes day one, minute one, as soon as we get over that line from the consortium. Um, so they always plan to sack him. I don't quite know why he lasted another 13 or 14 days, but, um, yeah, as long as you, I mean, you know, even with, with the new manager, whoever that was, um, going to beat Spurs at the weekend, it was always going to be a tough task. Um, so yeah, it mean, happy he's gone now. Um, and we can all move on because, you know, we, I mean, the longer you dwell on that and, and think about all the 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 things that he did that wound you up you know it just it just is a poor way to spend your your time really um and it it can only be bad for your for your health if you go over all the things that Bruce did that he shouldn't have done and was was poor decisions for the club the game against Tottenham had a brilliant atmosphere at St James's Park but if he had won versus Spurs there's an argument to suggest Jim that he probably still would have been dismissed anyway what do you think I think he has been, as Marley kind of pointed out, he's been a dead man walking since the day the takeover finally went through and Mike Ashley left the club. His days have been numbered, so it was inevitable he was going to go at some point and I think it probably would have been after the Spurs match. We're all a little bit surprised that he stuck around for so long that he wasn't given the axe the second the documents were signed. But I kind of like the way the consortium have handled that to the, at the same time. I like the fact that they say they're doing their due diligence and they're looking at their options. I don't think one of those options would ever have been Steve Bruce signing a contract extension. But the fact they haven't gone in and just gone, we're changing everything, kind of gives you faith in how they might handle things going forward. I think it is interesting what they do now and who they get in, because are they going to go for that long-term option? As I kind of mentioned on the podcast before when we discussed the possibility of Steve Bruce leaving whoever comes in they've still got the same players to pick from they've still got the same squad and it's going to take a long time to fix that very poorly prepared underdrilled, naive defensively team that Steve Bruce has been looking after for the last three years so do you bring in your long-term manager now and almost give him a poison chalice because it's going to be really difficult to turn that ship around quickly or do as Marley has pointed out before, do you bring in the assistant, someone who can probably get better results than Steve Bruce before you then make wholesale changes in kind of that January period when you can bring in new players, when you can refresh the playing squad? So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what happened against Tottenham. It could have been 5-0 and I think Steve Bruce would still be finding himself a new job this week. Well, building on what you say there, Jim... If it wasn't Steve Bruce's 999th game as a manager last time around and the Tottenham game being his 1,000th game, I wonder whether he would have lasted beyond the weekend. I think there is an element of sentimentality there. And you mentioned how Newcastle have been poor at the start of this season. What's your take there, Marley? Because could Newcastle really afford that sentiment of giving Steve Bruce his 1,000th game? Because Jim's right. You're still in the relegation zone. You still haven't won a game this season. So... You know, these are things that need to be addressed and and can the club really afford, despite the fact there's this feel-good factor around the club now, it's still on the pitch. They're in trouble, aren't they? Yeah, and I think um, that is what... That's the only reason he was there for, for, the, for, this, um, for the weekend, I think. 
the 999 games um and the fact and this goes longer than just recently i just i think he's a nice guy and he's he doesn't rub anyone up the wrong way he's not very abrasive uh, which is exactly why he was hired by mike ashley in the first place um to just sit there and be a yes man um and because he knew the score he knew he, no he knew he was going to get sacked eventually um that was the reason why he was let to have the thousandth game i th- i think it was probably the poor the the i don't think it was the right decision um but you can see why it happened um because you know if i've just i think of his sort of career and say what's you know he's had a thousand games now as a manager what better time to go out you're not going to reach 2000 you're not going to win the premier league anytime soon you're not going to get a step up from newcastle you're not going to get a better job than um, managing your team that you you know you claim to have loved all your life, even though you managed Sunderland and played for Man United when they were our biggest rivals. So there's there's that, and then it's got of like a nice little ending point for him, I suppose. Um, but I still, I mean, I think he should have went, but he stayed. It's only one game. If we go down by three points at the end of the season, <laughs> that might be a different thing, but. You know, it doesn't really change what the new manager is going to come in and do. We're still poor, and he's still got to come in and improve them. So, um, I'm looking forward to poor seeing. Poor in quality, not in bank balance. That should be oh, yeah. clarification on the phrasing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in the next in the next week or so. But I'm just sick of people saying, "Oh, Bruce didn't do that badly," because I feel like un- until you've seen him at your club, you haven't got a clue, to be honest. Yeah, certainly, Steve Bruce has been handed a fair amount of criticism in many courts that's fair criticism because Newcastle are in the relegation zone the fans have never really warmed to him the football was a difficult watch the tactics have been questionable but he has received some nice messages from those around the club Alan Shearer said on Twitter I know how tough it was for any manager at Newcastle for the last 14 years I also know how badly Steve and his family wanted it to work in difficult circumstances for everybody he kept Newcastle up for two seasons it's a new era now but thank you Steve for your effort and commitment Steve Bruce leaves Newcastle with an eight million pound payoff after the severance of his contract And he said in his departure, I'm grateful to everyone connected with the club for the opportunity to manage this unique football club. I'd like to thank my coaching team, the players and the support staff in particular for all their hard work. This is a club with incredible support and I hope the new owners can take it forward to where we all want it to be. That was what he said in a somewhat official statement on his departure from the club by mutual consent. However, Jim, in an interview, he was effectively saying something different. In terms of the abuse that Steve Bruce has received, I think it's all fair and well to criticise a manager when a side is not performing. Every manager deserves criticism when their team isn't performing. It's the nature of the job. However, abuse is a different thing altogether, is it not? Yeah, they're different. As you say, they're different things. Criticism is one thing. Abuse is something completely different. I think the line has to be when it becomes personal, when it moves from professional to personal, that is where the line should be. And that's across the board in football. It's fair enough criticising someone's performance on the pitch or performance in the dugout when it becomes something that's about their level of intelligence or their appearance or the fact they've got a cabbage for a head. That's where that line is crossed and it becomes unacceptable. So nobody, no matter how poorly they've done in any job, deserves the abuse that Steve Bruce has had from some quarters in that Newcastle job because I believe that he's done nothing other than try his best 
in that situation. It's just it feels like he might have been a little bit out of his depth. And I think there's some testament to the man himself. The fact that if we're saying that he was there at Newcastle to achieve his 1,000th game as a manager because of sentimentality, you don't see sentimentality in football particularly when there's big numbers involved and you've got new owners coming in who maybe don't understand the culture and the history of a football club, which new owners at Newcastle United probably don't, it's very rare to see that. So that has to be credit to Steve Bruce for the way he's handled himself in the situation and the way he's handled himself since the takeover and maybe prior to the takeover as well. So in other words, what I'm saying is he seems like a nice bloke and he seems like a professional man. And I think that has gone in his favour. So unquestionably, some of the abuse... That he's received. In fact, no, all of the abuse he's received has been unfounded. Some of the criticism or a lot of the criticism he's received for his tactics and his playing style have probably been warranted. Here's what he had to say. This is the quote. To never really be wanted, to feel that people wanted me to fail, to read people constantly saying that I would fail and that I was useless, a fat waste of space, a stupid, tactically inept cabbage head or whatever. It was from day one. When we were doing okay results wise, it was yeah, the style of football is rubbish or that I was lucky, but it was ridiculous and persistent even when the results were good and he also went on to say Marley that this could be his last ever job in management because of that abuse that he received now regardless of your opinion on Steve Bruce as a manager and even as a person for him to not want to do a job anymore because of the abuse he received that is quite sad to see and I know that Newcastle fans are quite happy that he's left the club from a footballing perspective but from a personal perspective can you understand why he's he's feeling that way yeah definitely I can, I can feel I can sympathise with him to an extent to where, um, you know, you shouldn't receive personal abuse. But this is also the guy that said, when I walk down the street in Newcastle, everybody shakes my hand and, and says, you know, good luck for the weekend and stuff like that. So was he lying then or is he lying now? Because I think he was lying then, which is the point of what we all get annoyed about as Newcastle fans. It was the things he said is they just make no sense. They're, they cover things up. And he tries to fob everyone off. And then when the reporters were asking him about the questions when we'd won um, two in 22, he went on the offensive against them. And he said, what do you, what do you know? What, what, you know? How many games have you managed? And all this. And they would, all they were doing is asking what, what the fans were asking. You know, why are we still playing five at the back and getting beat 3-1 and 4-0 every week? Why, why are we playing five at the back with two false tens which has never existed in the world, ever, <laughs> against Sheffield United, who were winless in 16 games, and they turned us over 1-0 last season. You know, these were all fair questions. And everything, and even the abuse, which I admit is too far, the personal abuse, has always been based on the fact that he was poor at his job. The, the tactics were poor, the approach was poor. Um, the everything he'd done in the club was poor. I mean, in the last international break, he goes on holiday to Portugal. The lads returned to training on the Friday, didn't know that he'd gone, then returned back on Monday um, morning and and were told that his flight doesn't get until the afternoon, so the session was being put back, so they all had to go home or, or do bits on their own. There was uh, an, apparently an unnamed player who went back to his old club because of the uh, the fitness facilities and stuff wasn't great um, when he was rehabbing from an injury. That was an unnamed player, but it was definitely Callum Wilson when he did his hamstring because he put, even put on his Instagram story that he was working with his old coach from Bournemouth. So that was that was him. 
and it it goes on and on and on. It it really does. But come back to to my point, you know, I I don't know. Even you know when it, when you said then about a tactically inept cabbage head, like cabbage head is a, is a silly insult. I don't I don't even know where where cabbage came from. It, the Villa fans laughed around to that one, but well, it was just um, they threw it, wasn't it? It's born yeah, but, out of yeah. throwing. I don't think it came out any more than the fact they sort of throw cabbages at him. I mean, cab- cabbage is an insult I know, but... in general, isn't it? You're a cabbage. <laughs> why, why a cabbage? You know what I mean? I, I don't know how, how that ever started, to be honest, but never mind. Um, but even that, that tactically inept, that's what you've got to be. That's the insult there, tactically inept. They're even saying at that point, in that specific quote, your tactics were crap because, you know... If we rewind three years to when Bruce was Bruce took over, yes, he was never popular, but he was never not popular because he was used to be a Sunderland manager or used to play for Man United. He was unpopular because everyone thought he wasn't good enough. He hadn't managed in the Premier League for four years mm. um, at that point. He would come from uh, Sheffield Wednesday and cost us uh, three or four million quid are, to get him out of his contract that he'd only just signed. We are now a League One side, by the way, Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> exactly, so... You know, probably for no fault they're wrong, by the way, with the financial stuff that went on. But that's another story for another podcast. But it's um, if no one can tell me that if he hadn't come in at the start and played better football, played um, like got results, basically, no one would have held it against him. Like no one would have gone, well, you know, he managed Sunderland, so I still hate him. Like. There was always the chance there to to win the whole fan base over because ultimately having a Geordie in in um, in charge of your club if he's doing well is the best thing in the world. But he instantly just took us backwards. We used to have the sixth best defense in the league under Rafa Benitez. He inherited the same players, took over, um, had more money to spend than any manager I think under the Ashley reign. And took us backwards. We've now got, I think, in the last in the last three years under him, we've conceded fifty eight goals, sixty two goals, and then nineteen already this season, and we're we're eight games in. Under Rafa Benitez, in the in the two years, the two full Premier League seasons when we'd just been promoted back from the Championship, um, forty seven and forty eight conceded, so a minimum of ten more. He inherited the same players: Jamal Lascelles, Kieran Clark. Mankio was there. Uh, Yedlin was there. But obviously, he's not now. You know, these are. This is a better team, and he still, still managed to take us backwards, even though being a, a vastly more experienced manager than Rafa Benitez. And he's there going, "Oh, the mighty Rafa, this, the mighty Rafa, that," and getting all, you know, up in the fans for for daring to give him abuse. Well, if you had, I mean, if I was getting paid eight million pounds. To to get a bit of to get a bit of stick, I'd let you strip me naked and power bomb me off the top of the time bridge. I don't give. I do it for half that. So you know, people say, "Oh, well, it's still it's still not nice." If something's not nice and you get paying eight million quid for it, f- it. I don't care. Stop sitting on the fence, Marley. Do you want? Are you glad he's gone or not? <laughs> yeah, certainly he wasn't great, but he doesn't deserve abuse. I think that's the key takeaway from. The Steve Bruce situation. So we'll put Steve Bruce behind us 
in uh, more ways than one if you're a Newcastle fan. And we'll look ahead to potential replacements. Fonseca, the former Roma manager, he's a, a name who's sort of top of the list, particularly with the bookmakers at the moment. I know Newcastle have spoken to Fonseca, but that doesn't make him necessarily the club's favourite to replace him. I think they'll be keen to uh, assess their options. Another name has been uh, Roberto Martinez, who... It uh, was the former Everton and Wigan manager and also, of course, the Belgium national team coach as well. Lucien Favre is a name we've mentioned on the podcast. He's also allegedly in contention. There are names floating around, Marley. So who's taking your fancy at the moment? Is it still Eddie Howe or do you think that that ship now might have sailed? Um, I did think it would. I, I, well, I suspected it might have sailed, but I don't think it has now because I think there's, there's talk from the club or a, a sort of strong rumour that they would rather hire an out-of-work manager, uh, which tells me two things. They don't want to pay to get someone out of the contract, even though they have the money, um, because, well, basically, I think it's because whoever's in as our next manager is going to be there for a year or two. And then if we do the things in the transfer market that, you know, build build a better club, basically, and a better squad, I think whoever's in now gets a couple of years. If they do well, they might stay a third, but... Ultimately, you're always going to want that like big name manager to come and, and take your club to the next level, because we're like at level one now. So whoever takes us to level two might not necessarily take us to level three and four. You, then you're talking like an elite coach, like a a Mourinho or a Conte or whoever whoever's out there at the time in in two or three years time. So, um, so that led me back to Fonseca and 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 uh, how, because I think Eddie Howe plays great football. Um, I think his his financial spending record hasn't been amazing. Um, I think he was unlucky, to be fair, at, at Bournemouth. I think if you look at um, that Arnout Dan, Dan Juma, who they signed from uh, from a Belgian side, he didn't do that well, and then he's tearing up um, Man United in the Champions League a couple of years later. So I feel like that that was always a good player that was just maybe at the wrong club. Um, so I I wouldn't be put off by Eddie Howe at all I think he used to play if you remember how Bournemouth played they played proper football like short passing fast tempo high pressing all this modern football and I think Newcastle have a good enough squad to to pull that off um just the defense needs work um Fonseca is kind of similar I was watching a bit of his his Roma yesterday and it did put the fear of God up me because they were one of them who would, you know, were passing out from the back. And it just about worked in this. There was one Roma clip where they worked it from uh, a short goal kick and they ended up um, taking a shot on goal. I think the goalie saved it or whatever. But they worked it from every man on the on the pitch, passing, moving, you know, um, building up from the back. And I just thought, if you come in and I can't see Jamal Lascelles and and um, Federico Fernandez quite coping in that system or Paul Dummett but if you get the players at the end of the transfer window then that can work so either way I mean when you've been through three three years of Steve Bruce um, you don't really mind who comes in because I feel like the grass would always be greener because the, the grass was dead on the other side of the fence so how could it possibly be any deader? <laughs> well, I think there could be questions over Eddie Howe and his relegation with Bournemouth in recent seasons. And after they... after five years of keeping them in the Premier League, though, yeah, true. With a with you know as, as a tiny tiny but, club, but, really. But Newcastle have been up for five years now, and now they're slipping closer and closer and closer. 
So, I mean, there's there's comparisons yeah. to be drawn, but I mean, these are all ifs, buts, and maybes. Fonseca, Bookie's favourite. Odds on Bookie's favourite at the moment. Eddie Howe in contention. Favre also in contention, uh, as well as Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard, who are slightly longer shots at 18 and 20 to 1, respectively. Oh. But it seems unlikely that it will be then. People need to stop with Gerrard. It won't be Gerrard. Why would he leave Rangers right now? No. I think that that's, that's the thing that, that Newcastle need to get right, is this appointment, someone who has pedigree and prestige and calibre but someone who isn't you know already in the midst of a project that's going to try and sacrifice something to go to St James's because it's going to be a tricky job to keep Newcastle up regardless of who the manager is and I think we've seen that already this season but Steve Bruce is gone he's departed Newcastle United by mutual consent and therefore it's uh, another new era in terms of uh, a manager this time for Newcastle United we'll watch that one closely and with intent here on Football Social Daily And after this break, we're going to be talking about one of Steve Bruce's old clubs as a player, Manchester United, a famous night for them at Old Trafford last night. We'll talk about it next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you hit subscribe on whichever platform you listen to this show on, that way you won't miss another episode. Again, brand new podcasts every day of the season, including at the weekends where we speak to former professional Premier League players on our podcast. The Dugout is a preview show looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action. Former players Michael Johnson and Francis Bernali will be joining me this week to look ahead to the weekend's games. Manchester United play Liverpool. That's the big game this weekend in the top flight, but it's Champions League action that we're going to focus on now. And it was a game against Atalanta at Old Trafford, which captured the attention of the Red Devils last night, coming from behind to beat the Serie A side by three goals to two. They went into the break, Jim, 2-0 down, and there were a few boos around Old Trafford, it's fair to say. They came out after the break, inspired, scored three and won the game. Why do you think that is the case? Why do you think United have this Jekyll and Hyde nature? Because it's not the first time since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been the manager that they've had to come from behind to win. They seem to have made a great habit of doing so. I didn't see the game as it was happening. So I'm basing this purely on watching the highlights afterwards. I was watching uh, The Love Trap with Joel Domit or whatever it's called, which is surprisingly good, by the way. Uh, so I didn't actually <laughs> see the Manchester United game. But from the highlights, I don't think Manchester United were that bad in the first half. And I think there's a bit of a situation United have at the moment. The kind of Ole out shouts are getting louder on social media. There's a negativity around the club. There's fans, inverted commas, supposedly wanting the team to lose just so Solskjaer gets the sack. And when you get into that kind of atmosphere, when you get that kind of narrative around a club, even very small things can suddenly flip an atmosphere. And I know this from experience from when West Ham first moved to the Olympic Stadium. It didn't take much. Ten minutes into a game, if it wasn't going well, there'd be a cauldron of hate bubbling away. And I think that's kind of happening at Manchester United at the moment. I'll tell so you that's... what, though, that is absolutely baffling to me as someone who has supported my club through everything. I would never, ever want Pompey to lose a match, ever. Oh, no, it's baffling to any football fan. I mean, Marley would tell you, he still would have absolutely loved Newcastle to beat Tottenham at the weekend. Yeah. 
even if it kept Steve Bruce in a job for another week or whatever, I just don't understand this idea that you would want your own team to lose a mm. game just to spite the back of someone who's the manager. It just, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And I'm glad that you're in the this, same boat as me because it makes no sense. No, this is football fans that are more interested in what card they've uncovered for their players on FIFA than they are actually what happens on the pitch. Then It's what FIFA would call the next generation fan rather than the... It's- what was it? The heritage fan, as they were called. Legacy it's, fan. It's the lads. Yeah, legacy it's, fans. It's the sorry. lads that go and film themselves at football matches and stuff, innit? It's well, no, I don't think even go to football matches. This is a different <laughs> level, Marley. <laughs> but anyway, my, my kind of point is, I don't think United were that bad in the first half. I think Atlanta were, were really open in, and United seemed to have some good chances. They just seemed to lack that finishing. There were clearly some changes that were made at half-time. Ronaldo made the difference. But I don't think United were hugely different. I just think the way they took their chances was different. And at 2-0 down, it was probably a scoreline that flattered the opposition more than anything else. So, I mean, it's it's one of those situations where we can go, oh, it's a Solskjaer tactical masterclass. He's turned it around at half time and he's made United into a fighting force and it undoubtedly is a positive to come back from 2-0 at half time but again it's Manchester United getting a win that is based more on them taking their chances or more on great finishes or more on luck than it is actually any kind of particular analysis and change because of the opposition it's an interesting one because it was you know as the old cliche goes the tale of two halves I mean I thought Atalanta actually showed United a bit more respect than I thought they would but yet they they scored a set piece with a header Demiral I thought was very very good I mean he celebrated a slide tackle later on in the game like it was a goal I mean you don't see that from defenders often <laughs> these days yeah what a tackle oh, it was unbelievable Absolute challenge beauty. on Rashford as he was running through um, but, uh, you know, United were leaky again at the back. I mean, question marks over their defensive stability. I mean, they conceded four against Leicester City at the weekend. They conceded two against Atalanta. I mean, we should give them credit, the Italians. They are a dangerous team. But we've seen how important it is for United that they've got their best players fit and firing. And Rashford, in the last two games since his comeback from injury, he's been out for three months and he scored in both games. How important do you think... He is, you know, some people saying he should focus more on his on-field stuff rather than the off-field stuff. But I think he's actually a very consistent performer on the pitch for United. Yeah, I think, I think if people are looking at what he's doing off the pitch and asking if, oh, is that affecting you on the pitch? I think you're you're brain dead to be honest. Um, it's weird how tribal football is and if someone hasn't scored in every game you know oh well, well what could it be and so oh well he's he's feeding kids well you know some things are more important than your football team who only you care about you know what I mean it's I did think he looked a bit rusty last night but he still scored because you know Atalanta were quite open at the back um when when they were then when they were like under pressure and the, the tempo was a bit higher and they were trying to hang on to something but you know, <clears throat> you know. I think it's just one of them things where he's he's always going to be a quality player. I think a lot of the time when he wasn't quite getting the output, he was out on the left, um, accommodating Cavani and Greenwood last season before he got injured. Was also carrying, I think, two or three injuries all of last season, which everybody seemed to ignore and not maybe not really know. But also when they did know, they kind of brushed over it and and thought, oh well, you're getting. You know, you you play for Man United, so if you're on the pitch, you should score, kind of thing. Which is again a bit harsh because you don't know what 
what type of injury someone's carrying. I think he needed shoulder surgery recently, didn't he? So it's not a it's not a small knock. So yeah, I think some of the criticism is is ridiculous for him. Um, he's an incredible player. He's an incredible person, um, and he's somebody who's who should be sort of revered around the country really for what he's done in the past two or three years, or even going back five years for his whole career, bursting on the scene at. 17 or whatever taking his chances and becoming a sort of hope for English football is, is amazing um, and it's sort of poor when you see Man United fans in inverted commas question him because you know he's not quite up to their you know as Jim said FIFA standards or how's he got a gold card when he hasn't scored in four games like nobody cares it's his real life <laughs> yeah and he's scored in his last two games the first two games he's played this season so I think if there's any way to silence any doubters, that would certainly be it. Ronaldo won it, a vintage header. He's one of the best headers of a football I've ever seen. I mean, for him to rise up like he did and head the ball with such conviction and power and placement to win, to win it and make it 3-2 never fails to amaze me. He might not be full of stepovers. He might not score free kicks anymore. He might not score those shots from 40 yards anymore. But with the ball in the air in the box... I don't think there's anyone better that I'd want underneath it than Cristiano Ronaldo. And with that header that won the game, Jim, it gave Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a result. We were talking on the podcast this week about how the pressure was mounting on Solskjaer. Understandably, it's a difficult fixture list they've got coming up. They've still got Liverpool at the weekend. But it feels like every time Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs a result to alleviate that pressure, he gets one. And it's a result that Manchester United fans would have expected. They would have expected to win that game last night at home against opposition that certainly... I don't think it would be unkind to say they're not top tier. But I think it's kind of a question of why Manchester United need to pull these results out. Why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is in a situation where he needs to save his job. And this is perceived pressure, by the way. We've, as reporters and pundits and journalists and whatever, have kind of created this narrative that Solskjaer has two games to save his job. We've got no idea whether that's the case or not. And I think Manchester United have been stoic in their defence of him to date and they've showed faith in him. But they have got a really tricky run of results coming up. And I think the expectations on Manchester United as a football club are exceptionally high. So they do need to perform in the league and they certainly need to perform in Europe as well. So this gets, if that perceived pressure, if that two games to save his job is... true narrative that really is the case I don't think this does a lot to alleviate the pressure no one's going to go and what this result proves that Solskjaer has what it takes to succeed at Manchester United as Manchester United manager I think if anything it proves that Manchester United didn't have the tools they needed certainly in the first half to overcome the opposition but it just shunts that can a little bit further down the road and Manchester United still have got a really tricky fixture list over the next month or so that they've got to navigate and if the results don't go their way I think then whether he'll get the sack or not after the next two games I don't necessarily believe that's true but I think certainly if they find themselves slipping to 10th in the table which is definitely feasible with the games they've got coming up then I think the pressure does really crank up. Paul Scholes said on BT Sport Marley that even though you should celebrate the United win and the momentum is there going into the weekend's game against Liverpool because of the nature of the win. He also said that Jurgen Klopp would have been looking at that first half from a Liverpool perspective heading into that game between United and Liverpool at Old Trafford on Sunday, licking his lips. Paul Scholes is a United legend, but he didn't seem convinced by last night's display. Would you agree with what he said about the game heading into this Liverpool fixture at the weekend? Uh, yeah, he's he's got a point. Um 
I feel like with Paul Scholes, he doesn't want to be another pundit that won't criticise Solskjaer um, because Gary Neville's came in for a lot of that recently. You know, you won't you won't criticise your friend and, you know, then Gary Neville's there saying, I'll never back a manager to be sacked, but then he's gone through about five at Salford City in the last five years or whatever, it, whatever it's been. So there's, hypocrit- there's hypocriticism everywhere, if that's even a word. Hypocrisy everywhere, sorry. Um, and Paul Scholes is... You know, he's entitled to his opinion, but I always I always take what Paul Scholes says with a pinch of salt because this guy never gave an interview in his career, basically. And then he ran out he's basically ran out of money and thought, Oh I need some I need to do something and he's on BT Sport moaning every week. And I just think if you know, I don't know whether you're just saying this for for like feeling and a bit of reaction because, you know, he's he's not He's got a point with the with the with the um, with the Liverpool thing, but it's just it's just him. It's like if him just being this little angry, unimpressed guy. Um, it's like a character for him. Never giving anyone praise. He's almost like a, a watered down Roy Keane. That Roy Keane's <laughs> actually entertaining with it. Um, but yeah, I, t- I don't know. He he does have a point, but I also feel like if if you're gonna lag your old team off it's counterproductive for for the future so i don't really know to be honest I, I, it's it's just one of them things it's man united all over they're very reactionary as a club as a fan base you know they'll lurch from one side to the other um whenever they lose three games in a row they came the um the old trafford will be full of yellow and gold all claiming that they should go back to the route and then they sign ronaldo and it's to see a red again so i don't really buy into what they what they say to be honest big win for Manchester United in the Champions League last night they needed that 3-2 over Atalanta Chelsea also did the job in their Champions League group stage game they swept aside Swedish club Malmö by four goals to nil let's not focus too much on the performance here Jim because I think everyone would have expected Chelsea to beat the Swedes in the Champions League last night they did so via a 4-0 scoreline and it was a pretty easy day at the office for Thomas Tuchel's side and important for them to get the three points after they lost to Juventus in the last match week in the group stages the key takeaway from this game was the fact that Romelu Lukaku was forced off with a sprained ankle he hadn't scored in six prior to this game he could be out for up to six weeks with this injury that must be surely cause for concern from a Chelsea perspective I think it would have been if Lukaku had been in red hot form but I think it's fair to say certainly from my perspective I think his Goal scoring, particularly for Chelsea since he's arrived, has been a little bit disappointing. I don't think he's quite been at the levels that was expected. We, we all expected him to be up at the top of the goal scoring charts along with Mo Salah at this stage of the season. And he's not quite finding the net with that regularity. I think he picked up a slight knock on international duty with Belgium. So I wonder whether this is a recurrence of an injury that was caused there. But one of the things that Chelsea have is strength and depth, particularly going forward. They've got a multitude of options that can fill in for Lukaku. And yeah, it didn't quite work for them last season. They were left wanting on some occasions. We all know about Tim, Timo Werner and his finishing record in the Premier League last season. But they do have plenty to come in there. Whether it dents their title challenge, I guess that's the big question, isn't it? Because they were looking to Lukaku to score the goals that would elevate them above what they achieved last season. But it happens in football. 
players pick up injuries and you have to rely on your squad to fill in for those injuries. And thankfully, Chelsea have got a very deep and a very talented squad. So I don't think it will be causing too much of an issue for Thomas Tuchel. If that's the case and he did pick up somewhat of an injury on international duty, do you then have to question Thomas Tuchel, Jim, for playing him in a game in which you probably didn't need to? I mean, you've got to assume that the advice from the medical staff was, yeah, he's fine, because you're right, Malmo aren't an opposition that are ever going to cause Chelsea any issues nine times out of ten. So you've got to assume that the advice Tuchel was getting was, yeah, he's fine to play. There will be no issues with his injury. So, I mean, this, this is me speculating. I seem to remember there being some <laughs> issue. Did he come off in the Belgium game? Am I remembering that right? I, th- I think he did. I think he did. I don't think, I don't think there would be a risk taken if there was a potential issue there. But it's very difficult to look inside, even with the modern technology and MRI scans and the tests that physios can do. It's very difficult to actually look inside someone's body and identify if there's a weakness or if there's a hidden injury there. And Lukaku himself would have been part of that decision-making process. He would have been asked whether he was fit and whether he felt able to play. And clearly he wanted to. Maybe his lack of goal scoring fed into that a little bit because when you haven't scored for six games and you're a striker with the expectations that Romelu Lukaku has in front of him, if someone says, do you fancy 90 minutes against Malmo? you're probably going to take that opportunity because you're going to fancy your chances to break that duck and that builds your confidence and gets you back on the pitch. So, it, I mean, we'd have to know what the Chelsea medical team was saying, but it feels unlikely that if there was an indication there that there was a potential breakdown in Lukaku's fitness, they wouldn't take that risk, surely, against a team like Malmo. You wouldn't think so, but Romelu Lukaku could be out for up to four to six weeks with a sprained ankle. So we'll wait and hear further news coming out of Stamford Bridge when it comes to the Belgians' problem with his ankle in due course. But they did beat Malmö four goals to nil last night, so a good win for Chelsea. And from the Champions League to the Europa League now, an early Europa League fixture. Not often you see them on a Wednesday, and not often you see a half-three kickoff. but that was the case in the Russian capital as Leicester played Spartak Moscow away from home. The game finished Spartak 3, Leicester 4. Patson Dacker grabbed all four goals for the Foxes. Um, brilliant performance from the Zambian. They finally get their first win in the Europa League group stages this season and against the group leaders as well. He scored his first Leicester goal against Manchester United on Saturday, Marley. He became the first Zambian to score in the Premier League in the process. After a few question marks over the early period of the season where he did feature in a few games but couldn't find the back of the net, are we starting to see him come good now? Because five goals in two games is not a bad return, is it? Yeah, it's not too bad, is it? I think I read something yesterday um, that said he was, he's now the joint all-time top goal scorer in Europe for Leicester because he, <laughs> he got them four goals in one game and I think no one's got more than four. So, yeah, it's, it's great for him because he was sort of in danger of getting a little bit like forgotten about because, you know, Leicester, Vardy of Vardy's number, Leicester's number one has been for you know, years and, and isn't showing much sign of of, slop, of stopping, maybe slowing down slightly, but um, he's always still going to be the main man. So, you know, you know we've mentioned Leicester's um, tactical flexibility, so he was always going to get games Dakar, but he has to sort of fight alongside Ian Acho, who was, you know, finished the last season with, I think he got 18 goals in his last 30 games or something like that. Um, so he went on a madness last year and you're thinking, did they need Dakar? Is he going to be another, 
Remember when they signed Ahmed Musa at like 16, um, 2016, 2017 after they won the league and he just completely flopped? And he had he came in with a bit of hype and I just thought, is this similar to that? Um, when, you're rec- when you're recruiting at the prices that Leicester City recruit, you can afford to let a few slip through the net because you're recruiting players that have sell-on value, haven't you? That's, yeah. kind, of, that's kind of the calculated risk they take to a certain extent. Yeah, but I mean, even that backfires. Like Slomani was 30 million. So, yeah. He, but it... Yeah, you raise a good point. They've got more right than than wrong, though. To be fair to them, so. But yeah, I mean, after you know five in his last two, he looks looks like um, he could be another prong to Leicester's attack, and they've got they've got a, a massive depth of talent up front with the three I've just mentioned. You got Madison, um, Tielemans, Harvey Barnes, and Jose Perez behind them. You know, you've got plenty of options there in Leicester. It's a really deep squad. You don't really um, like realize about. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I'm quite happy for Patson Dakar. I watched him a couple of times for Salzburg last season and really liked what I saw. And I was so excited when he arrived in the Premier League. So I'm really happy for him to get his account open for Leicester and uh, off the mark in real flying fashion. Maybe it's a case of floodgates. Sometimes that happens with strikers. There are European fixtures tonight. Vitesse Arnhem, the Dutch side, hosts Tottenham Hotspur in the UEFA Europa Conference League. And just quickly before we finish today's Football Social Daily, Jim, your team West Ham are playing tonight at home to Genk, I think it is, the Belgian side. How are you feeling about tonight's game? How are you feeling about West Ham in Europe? Are you confident that you might actually be able to to go deep into Europe this season, Jim? Because the start of the group stages have been excellent for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird feeling to be confident as a West Ham fan. I don't think I recognise it, but it does feel that way. Um, Particularly in Europe, I think we've been extremely professional is the word I keep on using. We've looked like a very well-organised team that's out there to get a job done. And... Even though David Moyes has got a really small squad of players available, he's rotated it well. He's kind of like brought the right players in at the right times. And it feels strange, but I'm actually, yeah, I think I think West Ham will get through tonight. I mean, Genk are the weakest team in our Europa League group. We'll get through the group. I, can't, I can't wait for Genk to win 4-0 now. What happened? What happened? 2-0 West Ham, I tell you. I was more laughing at the way... <laughs> Jim went, David Moyes has got a really small, then left a pause. And I was wondering what he was going to say next. But he, oh, no, but he he's ended... quite well endowed. <laughs> we'll leave it there. We don't need to discuss any more about David Moyes. How will he get on in the Europa League tonight against Genk? We'll find out tomorrow. And we'll be back again with another podcast tomorrow because that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget as well, you can check out The Dugout, our show with former Premier League players ahead of this weekend's action. Francis Benali, once of Southampton, and Michael Johnson, who played in the Premier League for Birmingham and Derby County will be my guests so make sure you hit subscribe as I say and you won't miss that but that's it for today and uh, your final chance to make a comment on Steve Bruce Marley before we finish the podcast (laughs) Um, well endowed (laughs) just (laughs) see you later we'll never never see you again probably enjoy your retirement you've earned it and 8 million you've got 8 million reasons in in your bank account to uh to enjoy it so all the best that's it for today's show we'll catch you again tomorrow on football social daily football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.